Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome my guest, Mike Huang. Hi Mike, how are you? Hi, it's been many years since we connected, right? It's been about 17, 18 years. Crazy that we're crossing paths again. No, it's really insane. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I didn't do the math like you did, but when you said that when we first got on, I was like, first oh, of yeah. all, how yeah, did the yeah, time yeah, pass yeah. so fast? <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I'm so I met Mike, y'all, in my freshman year of college at UCI. And you were at Cal Poly, is that right? Pomona. That yeah, that's correct. right. Cal Poly yeah, Pomona. Yeah, yeah. And um we I had a mentor, um, like a I guess a disciple leader, a small group leader, and um you had the same kind of I was it that kind of relationship or like more of a discipleship relationship, friendship? No, she's just a more of an older sister to yeah. me, and she was a listening ear, and I really appreciated that. But not so much the, I guess, discipleship part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we had a mutual friend, I guess, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you would come hang out at UCI sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's crazy that we're crossing paths again, you know, and so with that, um, it's great to be on. Uh, first off, like, congratulations on your beautiful family. Congratulations on such a successful podcast. So, that yeah. is so, so hopefully today, you know, for me, I can talk to you like, you know, two long lost friends catching up again and not so much a therapist. Hope, no, hope absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, m- yes, I'm not gonna, uh, I could talk about our personal lives probably forever, honestly, but um, and congratulations to you too. Um, Mike is off social media, so I literally have not seen or heard from him in like he said 17 years and it's so weird so this week's podcast mike that was released for the new season is our mutual friend phil jung's podcast who Mm -hmm. i i reached out to him and then i said hey like do you have anyone that would maybe be interested in sharing their story with me he connected me with you not knowing that you and i already knew each other (laughs) which i love so much because i feel like it's even more special that you've come on the uh, on the podcast to share with me. So without further ado, Mike, what is it that you do? So oh, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. Um, okay. So, you know, we've had a few, not a few, but I've had a couple MFTs on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, but each journey has been so different. And mm-hmm. I feel like even what they do is a little bit different day to day. Could you tell me, um, what a typical day for you as a licensed um, MFT looks like. So you have yeah. your private pra- you have a private practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a okay. private practice. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna pull back a little bit, and so I work probably four out of the five days in the office. So uh, my one day, uh, which are Mondays, are typically uh, my admin days. So I'm following up on notes, research. Um, I'm also participating in self-care. That's what I try to do, right? Mm. And so that's for my Mondays. And then so Tuesday through Fridays, I'm in the office doing clinical practice. So and on a given day, I'll probably meet with clients and um, probably five or six clients, you know, for an hour, 50-minute hour session. Um, uh, I can probably uh, work through uh, five clients um, um but if I do six, then I know for me, I get a little burnt out. So I break it up three, three, you know, I break in between and so forth. And so I, I see about five or six clients a day, but in between um, throughout the week, I have breaks. Mm-hmm. And so with that, then I'll follow up with referrals and phone calls and doing uh, uh, notes. Um, and also um, I have my own therapy too. 
So in the middle of the week, I have my own therapist that I meet with um, and kind of process things. I also um, send out emails and do um, networking coffee chats with people uh, and kind of introduce myself with the local churches, program managers, other therapists, mm. um, and so forth. And so uh, in a given week, that's what it kind of looks like. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I uh, One thing that comes to mind, and you already kind of um, briefly talked about it just now. Yeah. I mean... Meeting with clients, I know it's your job, and I'm sure you love it, but yet, yeah, does it get draining for you? Yeah, it does. It does. It, it's hard. Um, I know, you know, one of the questions that you typically ask, you know, your podcast members <gasps> is, like, what is something you don't like about your job, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, like, it's lonely sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, the things that people tell me, um, it's confidential and I right. hold it. Right? It's not like I can go home and you know, share with my wife. Right? So I That's hold right. it. Right. And so sometimes it, it does get hard. Right. And so then like, how do I release this energy? Right. So I need to then work on uh, healthy self-care, right? Smacking mm-hmm. some golf balls, going for a drive, you know, whatever it is. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think those aspects can be hard sometimes, sometimes holding on to that stuff. Um. So um, what is it? How, uh, I get, okay. I haven't actually talked to an MFT that is like a licensed private practice person. So what is a private practice? Yeah. So private practice means then um, I kind of have my own space um, uh-huh. and to and meet clients um, sort of in a way saying uh, cash pay, right? Private pay, right? Not through insurance, not at an agency, mm. you know, or a hospital or any of that, Right. And so there's pros and cons, whether you work for an agency or private practice, right? Private practice, right? I get to do um, the deeper work, right? Mm -hmm. I get to kind of focus on my specialty, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And stuff like that. Well, if you go through an agency, you can utilize insurance, right? Uh, And there's a whole team of support that can support you. Um, But also as a clinician, then, you know, it means then you work for um, a set number of hours, right? And for us, it's hard, you know? Um, you know, some bureaucratic stuff that you go to go gotta go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, if you even if you want to help, maybe insurance will only cover eight sessions, mm-hmm. right? But the work that I do is like the deeper emotional intergenerational trauma work, right? So that's gonna take a long time, right? Matters of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so for me, for to be effective, you know, I I don't work in an agency. I work in private practice, um, and so yeah. Are you categorized as a Christian therapist or is that just like a secondhand thing? So I actually work at Christian Counseling Center San Jose. That's where I work. Um, But I do share with people that I do not do spiritual integration as part of my work. Right. So I don't I don't do prayer. I don't um, talk about the Bible and verses and what it means. I don't I don't do. Um, sort of the spiritual director, spiritual formation, uh, like kind of the the what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this moment? I don't I don't introduce that stuff, mm. but still I do believe the concept of grace, self compassion are universal, and so those are some of the uh, tenets that I do uh, hold in my space, and so um, yeah. Um, you mentioned just now, you know, with your clients, you go on a deeper level of inter like generational like things that you're kind of bringing out and trauma that's happened like so Mm -hmm. uh i guess i don't know how to ask this but do you specialize in a particular like type of therapy like would a specific client seek you out for something yeah yeah and so for me um the work i love to do Uh is 
trauma wounds, attachment wounds, and then the identity formation from there, right? So a lot of clients will experience something tough and, and then you ask them, so what does that mean about you? I'm broken, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, I'm unsafe, right? I'm stupid, right? That's not true. That's not true. Those are lies, right? Those are expectations people put on you from society, your parents. Those are your parents' voices that are, you know, pressing upon you. That's not true. You are worthy. You are trying your best, mm-hmm. right? And so then how do you uh, start building a healthier relationship with yourself, like loving yourself, right? So that you can show up uh, the most genuine, authentic person you were meant to be, you know? And so that's that's sort of the work that I love to do, mm-hmm. right? I think the a part of, like, the difficult thing is how do you advertise this? Right. In a, in a one-on-one call, like, you know, with you and me, like I, I can sh- ex- explain this and share this, but like on a psychology today, you know, advertising page, how do you promote this? Right. It's, it's a little hard. Right. So that's why I do these networking calls with people. So therapists in the local area know what my specialty is. So when people say, I don't know what I'm meant to do with my life. Right. Or, Hey, like, you know, I'm struggling with certain narratives. Right. And so then, you know, um, I like to work with them. Right. I see. I don't know why it makes me emotional. (laughs) Like you saying that, I don't know why. I I guess I find those things very valuable and important. And I think I'm actually going through some of that myself. Um, I mentioned to you before that like I had some postpartum um, after my children. And I'm after six years, I'm just now like remembering my identity in Jesus and like having a lot of breakthroughs. So I think you saying that, you know, I should have, I should have sought out therapy, I feel like, but I didn't. But, <laughs> um, and you saying that, I just feel like, wow, what a special space and gifting that is to be able yeah. to provide that for people. And I, um, that's really amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, you know, with that, I think uh, it was important for me to pursue the MFT degree. Mm-hmm. Um, truthfully, I don't really do couples. I don't do family work, right? But I chose MFT because kind of through the lens of how we see dysfunction. And right? so for MFTs, dysfunctions uh, come from relationships. What was your relationship mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, attachment bonding, right, um, with your family? How are you projecting that to your partner today? right? Hey, are you able to have effective communication, setting boundaries, right? Advocating for yourself with your friend group, right? What kind of relationship do you have with yourself today, right? Mm -hmm. And so sort of that, that through that lens is what I, that's why I chose MFT um, as as opposed to the other sort of, uh, yeah. What are the other ones? Like for example, uh, clinical social worker, right? So for them, they see dysfunction uh, classically, you know, through the lens of resources or the lack of resources. So if eight people live in a single bedroom, yeah, you're gonna have some issues. If you don't have access to, you know, healthcare, nutritious food, yeah, you're gonna have some issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's much different as opposed to maybe then a school psychologist, right? But helping with some of the assessments, ADHD, IEPs, right? Learning disabilities or, you know, a psychiatrist through the lens of medicine, right? And so. Mm, Okay. So um, typically, uh, I was going to ask, like, I I know you, we specified what kind of clients come to see you, but why would uh, somebody seek out an MFT? Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, um, 
I think many people, when they look for therapists, I uh-huh. think in broad strokes, just look, look for counseling and, okay. and look for therapist, right? Uh-huh. So uh, we can be categorized as counselor, therapist, and I, I think uh, and that's where they come to the center and then they read my profile and be like, I think we'd be a good fit, you know, mm. um, and then we work together. And so um, even though classically, I, I was sharing with you sort of these are the lens that we see the dysfunction through, but uh-huh. I think in practice, a lot of us, we really do the same because in, in school when we learn uh-huh. we all learn the same thing psychoanalytic psychodynamic cognitive behavioral therapy emotionally focused therapy right and then for us we just kind of pick and choose what works to us as as a clinician right and then and then we do therapy work right in what session. type of person would make a good <laughs> therapist oh <laughs> uh, yeah what kind of person would make a good therapist i think um Kind of uh, the textbook answer I would tell you is uh, a good therapist would have their own therapist. Uh-huh. Um, I'll tell you a good therapist would be someone who can hold a conversation. Mm. Right. Um, but I think also if I had to choose among all the different traits, I think the one thing I would say is probably posture of curiosity. Huh. Right? Like why? Oh, like that really happened. Right. Wait, did you ever feel like that before? Mm. Right? And so I think, kind of, you know, and so like you're exploring things together, right? And I think that's what helps kind of people feel safe, you know, dig deeper, you know, be curious about themselves, right? Mm. Um, be self-reflective, right? And so I think that's really helpful um, in part of this. And it's also too, like having a posture of curiosity, you start looking at yourself as a therapist. What could I do better? What parts, you know, did I miss? Right. How do I need to live my life so I show up, you know, um, um, uh, better? Mm-hmm. Or how do I go through this so then I can have better, bigger empathy for my clients? Right. You start wondering these things for yourself as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think curiosity is really important. Huh. I don't think I would have thought that. <laughs> That's really good. Okay. Great. That's good to know. I, I thought you were going to say like a good listener, you know, <laughs> like those kind of things, which I'm sure are important. But Okay, posture yeah. of curiosity. Yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. ministry, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. The listening part is practice. You can learn. I used to be a uh, horrible listener. I used to be a horrible listener. What? Right? But really? You, but you practice. You can take notes along the way, mm-hmm. right? Um, kind of re-ask. I, I, uh, can you remind me what your wife's name was again? All right, and they'll tell you, right? And so, um, yeah. I see. Did you hear that, guys? You can practice listening. <laughs> Um, okay. So like, I, I've got to know, like, Cal Poly Pomona Mike (laughs) that I met 17 years ago. I have to say, I'm going to be completely transparent. I hope you're not offended. Um, Yeah, I would have never thought (laughs) MFT, (laughs) like, you know, 17 years from now. Um, uh, I, what did you study at Cal Poly Pomona anyways? Oh, microbiology. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> yeah. not what I thought either. Yeah, but okay, yeah. so can you take me back, like all the way to college, and um, how did you uh, end up here with me today, talking about this? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before I kind of share that, uh, can I ask you what were your impressions of me back in college? No, I'm scared. I don't. <laughs> Okay. All right. So if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, 
um, like like we said, we had that mutual friend um, who was a mentor to me and an she, older sister mm-hmm. figure to you. And you mm-hmm. came and hung out at UCI, and yeah, she would just say, "Oh, like he, go- this is Mike, and he goes to Cal Poly, and and he's going to hang out with us today." Or if I was doing Bible study that day, he'd be like, "Oh, he's going to hang out and do Bible study, or like just observe or whatever." And then um, I thought, okay, like that's cool. But then I also thought, like, oh, like. I felt like you were not, the word is not like, okay, honestly, the word that comes to mind is punk, but it wasn't, but that's not what it was. It was more like this oppa that didn't, didn't know what he wanted to do in life. And he was like seeking it. Like he was like trying to figure it out. Like you weren't really happy or satisfied with where you were. And then like you just were like seeking things, new things and um, maybe a posture of curiosity. I don't know. But um, that's like my honest like if I look not just like a outside view. It was just like what did I really think about this guy that would come hang out? It was it was like, oh, like that's cool. I like hanging out with people. He seems nice. Oh, I wonder what his story is. And then I just yeah. kind of would think, oh, maybe he's just like, just trying to figure it out like me, even though he, you're older than me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or no? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. That, that's uh, kind of that description uh-huh. is like not the first time I heard that, right? And so that's kind of been kind oh. of, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, And so uh, that's kind of been my persona for, I guess, many years until I sort of uh, had this transformational change in setting. And so for me, right, like part of the story you're asking, like, yeah, since college, how did I get here? But college was actually when I was most depressed, most angry. So part of the story actually goes from the very beginning for me, oh, right? So, you know, I grew up, you know, immigrant family, you know, okay. um, in, in the Bay Area, right? But um, I grew up in a very chaotic, abusive, just home, mm. right? I, I was physically beat, uh, sexually molested, right? And I was just berated mm. on. And so for, for even from a young age, I grew up very angry. Right. I think that's where the punkness comes from. I grew up very angry, mm. right? And so, um, and so, you know, and, and so my friends became my family and I always found ways to hang out with them and I'd get in trouble and all of that. And so, um, and um, I guess like part of how I ended up Cal Poly is an important piece to this too, um, is uh, I actually was supposed to go to UCSD. Um, oh. I was supposed to, but um, the summer before uh, starting college, I did a prank um, on high school campus, right? And so long story short, I lit some firecrackers while the football team was having summer summer practice um, and while they're sleeping overnight in the gymnasium. Uh, I got caught. And so I got I got charged with two felonies, right? Two, one uh, with having explosives on campus with intent to blow it up and the other uh, conspiracy because I deal with a group of friends, right? So, so, um, I got locked up for a bit. I got kicked out of UCSD. So I'm looking around for schools to get to. And Cal Poly Pomona was the only school that accepted me. Right? That so was that's your how senior got, year? Uh, uh, after I graduated senior year, going into college. Right? Oh, my word. My and so goodness. my high school gave UCSD a heads up. What happened? UCSD was like, no, no, you know? So they kicked me out. And so, and so that's where I was. why I was at Cal Poly Pomona. Right? So at Cal Poly Pomona, you know, like I'm going around raging in Vegas, right? Like, 
I used to get straight F semesters, like truthfully, truthfully, like straight F mm -hmm. semesters, right? And just messing around and all of that. And so um, I actually wanted to go to art school. And so, but then I couldn't go to art school because my parents didn't let me go to art school, right? Oh, so I this kind of sounds vaguely familiar, actually, the yeah. art school thing. But okay, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Be because like I can work with my hands in the laboratories. So I chose microbiology. And so um, uh, I got into graduate school uh, for microbiology. And then halfway through, my mom calls me, right? My mom calls me, it's like, hey, you got to come home. And so um, I come home, I pack everything up, go back up to San Jose. Half, and I realize, halfway through grad school? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Right. And then my mom's like, hey, you know, mom and dad got a divorce and I'm many months behind a mortgage. I need your help. I was like, what? Right. And so I'm like now like picking up different jobs. I'm getting resentful. I'm getting more angry at my dad. Like, how can you just pick up and leave? Mm. Right. And so by this time, like I'm starting to like not talk to him for many, many years. Mm. Right. And so um, so I was I was kind of working there. Um, and then I ended up working at Stanford doing uh, research, uh, laboratory research. And then by the grace of God, I ended up at Apple. Well, at Apple, I was a PM for the App Store, you know, helping developers get onto the App Store and all of that. Right. And so kind of in that season, I thought I was like a man, right? At a young age, I got promoted, making good money, comfortable lifestyle. I used to have two cars, right? A PM like a, is a project manager or? Uh, a product manager. Product manager. Right. Okay. Product manager. That's crazy. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was overseeing the operations of parts of Asia, you know, having a lot of power and all of these things, right? And so Kind of that same season, you know, uh, I was still angry, you know, and I was really driven to succeed in the worldly ways because I, I wanted to prove my dad wrong because I, I was told, you know, I'm worthless. I, I've been told that by my dad that mm. I'm going to be worthless. So I wanted to prove no, right? And so I was chasing that dream, right? Chasing those uh, things. And so interestingly enough, in that, in that same season too, I had a friend who... Um, invited me to become a youth uh, leader for the senior boys. Like, he's a good friend. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll rough him up. I'll rough up the boys. Let's do it, right? And that winter season, uh, there's a youth retreat, right? And I don't know why. I don't know why. But in one of the um, worship sessions, um, I had a God moment, right? And I saw this little light floating, um, and God just speaking to me and saying, hey, all these pains you've experienced from your family, like I gave them to you for a reason, mm. right? And all of my anger just like dissipated and I felt a big sense of peace, right? That's crazy. So I was like, and that's a little woo-woo, but for me, I, like I know it was real. And so I just mm. I was like, okay, what do I do with that? All right. And just kind of went on with life, right? And so then I was dating this girl um, and, and then out of the blue, uh, she actually she broke up with me. I was like, what, "What are you doing breaking up with me? Like I, I'm like hot stuff. Like at Apple, making good money. Like I'm on it, right? And all of these things. Like, what do you mean you're breaking up with me?" She said, "She cited emotional abuse. Shh, went right over my head. I was like, I don't know what that is. But I went to my mom and told her, "Hey, this is what she said. Right? This is what she said." And my mom was like, "Your dad used to do the exact same things. It broke me." Because I wanted so desperately to be different than my dad, mm. right? And so my mom was like, go to therapy. I was so desperate. I was like, I went to therapy, right? And so in therapy, I'm bawling my eyes out every week. Daddy issues, right? Gosh. And all of that. And so I remember like the therapist asked, I would ask like, do you love yourself? That does not mean, 
Like, I got mad at her. I was like, the F does that mean? Do I love myself? I got things to do. People will see places to go. Do I love myself? What are you talking about? Mm. Right? But then like, that's a really interesting question. So I kind of held on to it. And as a manager, uh, managing a team, uh, uh, leading a team at Apple, managing a team at Apple, uh, I used to take people for coffee walks around the block. Right? And it was supposed to be about work, but it became very personal. Hey, how's your wife after the operation? Hey, how's your son doing on the soccer team? And I really enjoyed it. It became very personal. Um, and so in those spaces, I started asking them, do you love yourself? And they'd be like, I don't know what that means. Neither do I, right? So we just like walk and talk. <laughs> we would just walk and talk, right? And so, I, I, and so I'm still going to therapy and all that. I started thinking like, do I still want to be part of Apple? Right? Mm-hmm. Do I still want to be part of this rat race? I started getting a little tired from Apple and all that. And then I started wondering, should I be a therapist, right? In my, in my ignorance, I was like, therapist is for crazy people, it's for women, it's for emo, mm-hmm. emo people, right? And so like, that's not for me. I'm like uh, alpha male, right? Like I want to be top dog. I, all I care about is my chismo and the money, right? And all of that. Then like, there's this like voice, like, you know, to, to think about therapy. And so I slowly started asking people, if I should be a therapist. Surprisingly, everybody said yes. My friends and family. I went to a wedding um, uh, and I saw my undergrad friends from Cal Poly Pomona. Uh-huh. I haven't seen them for years, right? And so very, like, um, I guess, shyly, like, you know, being a little shy, I was like, hey, to my roommate, to my roommate, like, should I be a therapist, right? And this guy, we used to go to Vegas together. We used to smoke cigarettes together, go chase girls together, ride motorcycles together, right? And he was like, hell yeah. Remember when <laughs> that girl broke up with me and we sat outside the apartment on the stairwell and smoked cigarettes all night and talked about her? Right? Like, you really helped me. Like, you'd be a great therapist. I was like, really? Oh, my right? Like, even my non-Christian friends were for me. I was like, I, I got to go chase this. I got to see what's mm. out there. Right? And so I think in that season, I was, like, looking around and then, uh, there weren't very many schools in the Bay Area at the time. And so okay. I think that's when I wanted to change the scenery. And so I applied to APU, Azusa Pacific. I went down to school in SoCal and then kind of started that journey. So that in itself was like another, like uh, uh, another journey in itself. But like, that's kind of like how I got into MFT, right? So a lot of that, like pondering, right? Working through that anger, right? Like, you know, and all of that. And so, uh, and, and, and a God moment, so. That's crazy. <laughs> like yeah, crazy yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um man, so many things I feel like as you were sharing um sure, god moments, but also just uh I can't, I mean I'm putting myself in your shoes about like when you were working for Apple too, right? Like feeling like on top of the world um in the in the world's eyes and having everything that you need and financially and things and just kind of shifting just 180 and realizing I mean when you went to um Azusa like at like simultaneously were you like working stuff out in your own 100 percent 100 percent right and so um I took a leap of faith went to Azusa right uh-huh. and like I think in the beginning years there are two things that I remember right one I used to like my my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Lizzie, amazing woman, right? I used to call her on her phone. It was a long distance relationship. I used to bawl my eyes out mm. because like, I don't have the money anymore. I don't have the status anymore. Who am I? Mm. Who am I going to be? Right? And yeah. I used to bawl my eyes out to her, right? Yeah. And then you show up to class, right? 
And then I remember um, I, I was starting school and I was thinking, like, I'm going to be number one. Everybody's going to know I'm the best. I'm going to get the best internships, yeah. right? But then the moment I walked in, it's a room full of white women. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Like I'm not white. I'm not a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's this flood of insecurity came. Wow. Maybe this isn't the place for me. Wow. Right. And I had to work through that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it took years, years to go through that. Right. Because if, and then sorry, the people with the classmates with her are so nice. I love them. I love them. Right. They're so nice. But like, you know, uh, in the beginning years, I'd be like, well, I don't have a psychology or sociology undergrad sure. degree. Yeah. Right. I didn't work in ministry. I'm not a grandma or a mom. I don't have maternal instincts. Right. Like, like I don't, I don't fit in. Like a lot of them are twos, Enneagram twos, helpers. I'm an Enneagram eight. Oh, I'm a pit bull. <laughs> right. So, right. Like I'm a pit bull. I'm a bull in a china shop. That's what I felt like. Right. Mm. This isn't the place for me. Right. So I felt out of place. Right. Mm. But I had to work through that. Right. And so, um, yeah, That's it was hard amazing. in the beginning. Yeah, that is yeah. so fascinating too. You know, my my sister in law. I literally in June, she just graduated from Azusa with MFT. Yeah, yeah, and it, honestly, okay, this is like a sidebar, everybody. But David and I, my husband, we we, we were visiting my family in SoCal for a month, and then her. Um, Thankfully, we were able to attend her graduation. That Azusa graduation for this MFT class was the most enjoyable, like, honoring, like, and dare I say, like, even spirit-filled graduation. Like, I was weeping the entire time. I don't know why, but it was it was just, you could feel these... MFT's accomplishment and and they were ready like they were ready to help people and I I would like my husband and I we were choked up the entire time I was like I looked at him like what what is going on what are we okay (laughs) like but um it was it was so great and so um I'm almost like, you know, you're, you're her someday, you know, like the one has gone before her. And, um, I would like to say that the, this class was extremely diverse and full of a lot of men, a lot of, um, yeah. different ethnicities. And so to hear you say that too, I'm like, wow, what strides, you know, have been made since your class has graduated even. And, um, yeah. anyways, just a small sidebar, but. <laughs> Yeah, and so, well, since then, you know, uh, searching for school, you know, the MFT field, I guess, mental health, it's really, really exploded. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of programs here. There's more talks about it, right? The stigma is slowly melting away, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are starting to look into it. And so uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, one, I, I mean, I'm all for, you know, mental health and therapy and um, I think it is extremely helpful and um, very important, right, to to just kind of do the do the work in order to I, I hate to over spiritualize things. But, you know, as a Christian myself, like this abundant life that Jesus calls us to, I think it's waiting, but the work has to be done first. For sure. Yeah. And For so sure. that's what I'm realizing myself. And so I'm so grateful that people are, you know, the stigma is kind of melting away, like you said. Um, I do have a question, though, for you. Mm-hmm. You know, as an Asian American, um, do you, are a lot of your clients Asian? Am I allowed to ask that? Yeah, do yeah. you have a lot of Asian clients? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I do have a lot of Asian clients, mm. you know, and um, that's something uh, that I had to learn, right? And so you know, going back to school, a lot of my insecurity, like I was trying to do a lot of things. I was trying to show people that I know all the theories mm. and I know how to do it. I'm the smartest and all of these things. And actually one of my supervisors was like, Mike, like you're always doing just be. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> I love right? it. And it just it just straight up flew over my head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I had to learn that concept, right? That me, maybe me just being me draws a certain type of crowd. Yeah. Right. I, I was listening to a podcast, you're saying, hey, at the height of your coaching, 17 of your students, right, were Asian. Right. What did you right. have to do with it? Nothing, right? But just be. Yeah. Right. Nice. And so in that, I think people that on the on the um, on uh, the client side, right? The mm -hmm. patient side, they'd be like, oh, that person, right? Mm -hmm. That person would resonate with me or, or that person would understand me, mm -hmm. right? And so they seek me out, mm -hmm. right? And, and um, yeah, yeah, right? Because I think us as Asian people too, there are things that we experience that, you know, white body people, American people, right? It, it's just not part of their culture, mm -hmm. right? The nuance, unspoken, mm -hmm. right? Maybe pressures or, you know, tendencies and expectations, right? But as an Asian person, I get it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I can rock rock with you, walk mm -hmm. with you, right? I get it, right? And so yeah. that, that helps us too, you know? Yeah, so. that's what I was going to ask. Like, I was like going to ask you about, so is that helpful as a tool? You know, like, is that something that I just kind of think is a thing like oh because I'm Asian I understand you better because you're Asian or have you found even in trauma there is a relatable piece that you can understand maybe better than somebody else that's not Asian American yeah I think it's not something I actively kind of um think about or okay. try to advertise mm -hmm. right I had a client once tell me, like, Mike, like, you're, I actually like working with you because uh, you actually create space for me to talk. I was like, what? What are you talking about? It's like, yeah, my previous therapy was, therapist was white. And he always cut me off. Right? And so I thought about it. I was like, that's an interesting statement. So I think, like, uh, white people, if you think about their, so, someone uh, kind of described this to me, and I think it made sense for me, so I want to share with you guys. Mm -hmm. When white people talk, it's like playing basketball, right? There's a lot of passing the ball. There's a lot of playing defense, right? Kind of like banters back and forth, and then you know, and then there's a slam dunk that happens. Like someone makes a like a dad joke or makes a, you know, uh, makes a like a, a statement. Asian people, we're bowlers. We go bowling. I bowl, then you bowl, then I bowl, then you bowl. Right. I think like that benefited, right? Those tendencies showed up in the therapy space where I was able to kind of create some silence and space for him to sit and process after he speaks. And he appreciated that. Did I do that? No. Right. But it's just part of how I show up because that is the experience that I've, I, I've had. That, right? is... that also goes. Yeah. No, I think that's that... fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that even goes to my trauma. Right. And so like, like I've had addictions. Right. I've mm. had suicidal thoughts. So when you talk about suicide, I won't flinch, mm. but I'll be here in this deep, dark space and just sit with you, right? Am I trying to do something? No, I, I just sit here, mm. right? And so I think uh, kind of clinically for me, 
like the imagery I have is like you're just a friend who who's lost his way home. Mm-hmm. Do I know where you live? I don't know where you live, but I'll walk with you till you find home. Yeah. I'll walk with you. Right? We can kick the can, we can talk, right? And you won't be alone. Right? There's there's no there's no doing in the process, right? It's just mm-hmm. being, right? And so that's kind of kind of a process. So, you know, and so yeah. Oh my god, do you see, I I don't know why. I'm so emotional right now. I just feel like oh, what is this feeling? I just went to therapy. I don't know. <laughs> no, um I think uh what you just said about yeah. just even just doing you. Yeah. And that is bringing healing to people is so powerful. And just speaks volumes about not just who you are, but maybe even like just people. You know what? Just people. Me, everyone that's listening. I think there's a lot of power in what you just said. And I think that's why I it just like kind of hit me like a dagger in the heart. But um, wow, that's really. Yeah. And so these something. are yeah matters of the heart. Right. And so then I I try to help clients experience this. Right. And this mm-hmm. is a truth that they will continually have to tell themselves until the heart believes. Right. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm in private practice, because these things take time. Time. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. I know some people you got to see. My- <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, oh, which, by the way, just uh, it, um, so, like you're licensed in California. Is mm-hmm. that so? Like, can you practice like in other states? So um, there is kind of confusing rules, but ultimately I can be anywhere. I can be in another state, but Uh my client has to primarily reside in California. Oh, okay, okay. Why is that? I mean, it's not like therapy could be that much different, could it? (laughs) Um, I think different states just have different requirements um as you know and then to to become a, a therapist i think california california just has its own rules oh. and then nationally there's another standard so california is i think just a little bit more strict i see you know okay. and so i think you know the, one of the questions that you often ask uh, your guest is like what is something you don't like about your work right mm-hmm. for me it is the barrier to entry is sometimes hard right mm-hmm. because after we finish school Mm-hmm. Right now we have three thousand hours that we need to um, earn, mm-hmm. right, to become licensed. Right? That's, yeah, so that's that, what I hear. It's like a lot yeah, of hours. Yeah, it's like three thousand hours. But for clinicians, for us, we don't work forty hours. Our full week for us is twenty to twenty-five. I see. Right. So top how do you that, get those have, hours? Yeah, you just gotta grind, right? So, right on top of that, um, you know, you you can grind, join an agency, do a private practice. Right. But then your lower fee, you know, you get a lot of your fee uh, taken out. Right. And so for a lot of the pre-licensed folks financially, it becomes really hard without supportive family. I see. Right. I see. And, and so I have a friend who I graduated with. I mean, he actually was part of uh, working at an addiction clinic. Uh-huh. Um, addiction is hard in itself. But after a year, he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he quit because he got burnt out. Mm-hmm. But financially, he had pressure. So he needed to work. But he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And he left. And that sucks. I need more brothers in this field. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, you know, that's tough. Um. Okay. So typically, how do you, how long did it take you to fulfill your hours? Um. 
So I graduated in uh, December of 2020, uh -huh. and then I just got licensed in February 2023. Oh. So I don't know, about two and a half years, right? And so um, I want to say um, that's on the fast track. Okay. Right? Um, on the fast track. Um, and so I, you know, that's God's blessing. Um, and uh, I was able to, yeah, finish fast. Now, I think part of that, again, is that, People see me on a page and be like, I need, I want an Asian therapist. There aren't very many Asian therapists. Mm. So many cl clients will come, want to see me. So my caseload was full. I was I very see. lucky with that. I see. So in the same way that I said, hey, when I walked in the classroom, a lot of people were white women, right? And I felt out of place. Well, they're kind of trying to fill those hours. Because if you look at a page, there's a ton of white women. Mm -hmm. How do I choose between A and B? Mm -hmm. Right. And so for them, you know, they need to um, do a bit more marketing, putting themselves out, putting themselves out there to get clients. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, I could just be. Mm. And they showed up. Yeah, right? that's awesome. Yeah, that is a blessing. Yeah. OK, so after you fulfill your hours, do you have to take another test? So there is a uh, there's a state exam. Right. And so there's a state exam, like the, do you know your theories? Do you know, you know, uh, the, how to do crisis management, right? Treatment planning. Yeah. So there's another test that you got to take a four hour test. Yeah. Four hour test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Is it in parts? No, it's straight through. Oh my so goodness. You... Really? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. crazy. Okay. But you deserve it. You deserve to be a licensed therapist now. Thank you. Um, that's amazing. Okay. Well, um, Do you feel are you okay? You said that uh, part of your week looks like you going to therapy yourself, mm -hmm. right? So these things that you know maybe came up as you were um, getting therapy through schooling, through your um, Azusa program, and all this mm -hmm. stuff, and uh, kind of figuring out your own trauma and how to, you know, move into your identity and things like that. Is that always a work in progress? Is there a point where like okay? You don't need therapy anymore? Oh, I don't know. I think I will always need therapy, mm. right? Um, yeah, because even if I become healthier, become wiser, mm -hmm. I'm going I'm to be aware of more blind spots mm. in my life. Then I got to do more work, right? Mm. And part of the reason why I do this work is uh, so I can show up healthier for my family. Mm -hmm. But also, I need to do the work because I can't take clients into spaces I've never been. Mm. Right? And so I do for the clients. I do for, for my family. I do for me because I deserve it, you know? Yeah. yeah. What about your clients, though? Like, is there ever a time where you're like, okay, I think your therapy is done? Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> that's... Truthfully, my experience, oh. that's kind of uh, rare because a oh, lot okay, of okay. clients would be like, I'm good, I'm good, and they just <laughs> stop showing up. They just stop showing up. And so part of the job, that's why it's lonely and it's thankless because when they think they're good, they just stop showing up. Oh, I see. I mean, right? I guess it's a cost too. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, there's a cost, right, and all of that. And I, I fully understand. Therapy is a necessity, uh -huh. but it's also a luxury. Right, so I fully right. understand, right. right? And so, but uh, I think many people have a hard time just you know, just saying, hey, the fee is difficult, so I'm going to kind of cancel my uh, sessions. I see, right? I see. So a lot of people are avoid, right? So I they see. just like <laughs> skip a session and, and then, okay, 
And then second session, I get the hint, right? Mm. I'll send an email out just to check in, I'll leave a voicemail, but if they don't respond, I get the hint, mm. right? And so, but that is, you know, part of the work, therapy work. Yes. That's the work I wish I could do with you mm. to help you grow the confidence to be able to enter into difficult conversations. Oh. Right? <laughs> Yes. Right. Because nothing wrong with saying, hey, like I need to manage my finances. I support yes. it. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a pit bull Enneagram eight. Right there. No, just... <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, um, OK, so what you're saying is clients will let you go, but it's very rare that you would ever be like, OK, I think you're good. I think it's time for us to. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. OK. I see. Yeah, um, I, at least well, like since like I'm kind of in the beginning years of kind of my work as well too. Sure. Um, you know, so um, maybe I'm not at that a part in therapy where I'm at the end stage, the sunsetting stage yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, I don't know. So, what do you like most about your job, Mike? Oh, people have fascinating stories. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> fascinating stories right if you take a moment to listen mm. right yeah some of it is hard to listen to because it's like traumatic mm. but also it is fascinating and so i love that part just learning about people mm. yeah people are really fascinating it's really shocking sometimes yeah. kind of like you <laughs> yeah. you're fascinating yeah. um okay is there something that, I mean, I usually ask people like for advice and stuff, but I'm curious, was there something like um, that maybe I didn't ask that you wanted to share about, whether it's your job or you're just your life or anything that I missed? If not, that's okay. But... I don't know. Nothing really comes to the top of my mind. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you have any advice then for people listening that are maybe like, Hey, you know, maybe I want to be an MFT or just any life advice at all. I think, you know, um, cliche responses. I think I want to leave people with, um, remind them that whatever struggle they're going through, this too shall pass. Hmm. Right? It's not going to be forever. Mm-hmm. One of the um, quotes that I hold on to is something Phil used to always say to me. Grass is not green on the other side. Grass is green where you water it. <laughs> That's so good. And, and so, so good. everybody go listen to his podcast. Yes. You know, when I grow up, I want to be a VC. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third is be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, Because life is already hard. It's hard. Mm. It's hard. Right? In time, the opportunity will come. Mm. Right? Right? The opportunity will come. Yeah? Like you wish you could have been accepted to that job or that Mm. school. Right? Okay. Right? But you already have a lot of pressure, especially what's going on today in this climate, you know, with the economy, social political climate, you know? Um, kind of your own family baggage, you're doing your best. Mm. Right? If you could have done better, you would have. I fully believe you would have done better, right? So be kind to yourself. Just be. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so good. Yes. I'm going to take that mm. advice for myself right now. Yeah, um, yeah. And I hate to put you on the spot, but um, 
we are coming to our the end of our conversation and I usually ask people if if there's somebody listening that maybe has questions about what it uh how to go about being an MFT or more about what it's like to be an MFT would you be open to connecting with them maybe through email for sure for sure we need more uh, people of color in this field mm-hmm. so I will always make time yeah. Awesome. So yeah, if, if you uh, listeners want to reach out to me, um, shoot me an email at therapyflows at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, as you heard Mike say, if you want to connect, you can email him at therapyflows at gmail.com or you can get in contact with me and I'll connect you. Um, you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com or you can DM me. Um, Mike, can't thank you enough for your story i truly i i (laughs) i don't know i don't really get emotional during these conversations but for me personally i just feel like the journey that you've been on till now um just so much i don't the word that comes to my mind is favor honestly and um i'm so grateful to have been able to hear it and even like to have known you 17 years ago do you know what I mean like just to I it was only a few times and I didn't know what you were going through then you know I had no idea and it's just the sovereignty of God is like so crazy yes people this too shall pass this too shall pass so good thanks mike thank you for the opportunity anytime um guys until next time bye (laughs) 